From Washington, D.C., the swamp itself, this is the week's worst with Allen and Veda. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen, Vice President and Chief Investigative Officer of the Capital Research Center. And I'm Matthew Vadum, Senior Vice President of Capital Research Center and Editor-in-Chief of BombThrowers.com. And I'm Jake Klein, Media Producer at the Capital Research Center, and I'll be moderating this podcast in which we dig through the news for stories that we think are the most outrageous, the most ridiculous, the worst. So since former FBI Director James Comey's firing, the subject of our podcast last week, talk of impeachment has hit its highest level yet. Materials from Comey have leaked to the press, and he'll be testifying in front of Congress and the public next week. And a special counsel has been appointed to run the Russian collusion investigation. So let's handle some basics first. Steve, uh, you're a lawyer. Uh, Why don't you walk us through impeachment? So what is impeachment? Well, impeachment is simple. By the way, it's been seven days since our last podcast, Seven Days in May, for anyone who wants to look up that reference to the famous book and movie about a coup against the president of the United States. So uh, the um, impeachment process is, is, is sort of simple uh, in its outlines, which is that the House of Representatives determines that there have been uh, high crimes and misdemeanors uh, or a high crime or a misdemeanor committed by the president of the United States or whoever it is they're impeaching. They can impeach any federal officer. And, uh, and then that goes to the United States Senate where there's a trial. And the Senate uh, has the trial. They deliberate and then they vote. And it takes a two-thirds vote to remove the president of the United States. Uh, this has happened, a uh, proceeding like this has happened, uh, uh, gone down the road pretty far three times in American history. Uh, once was President uh, Johnson after President Lincoln, who was a Southern Democrat who had been put on the ticket to sort of uh, make a national unity ticket with Lincoln. And then Lincoln was uh, very soon assassinated. And so Johnson comes in and pursues policies that the so-called radical Republicans, the ones who were very much uh, in favor of uh, of uh, reconstructing the South and uh, giving rights to uh, to blacks, uh, he pursued a lot of policies they didn't like, so they impeached him. However, there was a trial. Impeachment does not re- mean removal; it means that you're going to have a trial. And uh, then they had a trial, and by one vote, he was uh, he was kept in as president. This was. Uh, treated by President John F. Kennedy, uh, or, or Senator John Kennedy then, when he wrote Profiles in Courage, uh, the book that won the Pulitzer Prize. Um, actually, it was ghostwritten for him. But anyway, uh, he, um, he treated this case as one of courage, the person who cast the vote that kept uh, the president from being removed from office uh, because, of course, Kennedy was a Democrat. And so he, uh, he, he took the, the pro-South side in that, uh, in that discussion. And then, of course, we move forward to Watergate and President Nixon. Uh, Nixon resigned before the final vote on impeachment in the House. The committee had approved the impeachment resolutions. Uh, and he was about to be impeached, so he uh, resigned before that could happen. And then, uh, and then Bill Clinton, and Bill Clinton was uh, impeached for the conspiracy the, uh, to organize a perjury campaign to cover up his, uh, his relationship with Monica Lewinsky and all the crimes that he had committed to, to, uh, to protect uh, himself from that being disclosed. And, uh, of course, he was acquitted in the Senate, although enough of the members of the Senate said he was guilty that if they'd actually voted their consciences, he would have been removed. But they, there were a number of Democrats uh, who said, 
well, he's guilty uh, in effect. Uh, he did these things, but that we are not going to vote to uh, remove him from office because that would be a political act. So that's the, that's the history of it. And now we uh, may be going through it again with uh, President Trump. So what do you need exactly for impeachment to happen? Legally, well, you know, the, the, there's no real set definition of what uh, what is meant by high crimes and misdemeanors. Uh, every time this comes up, there's a big uh, discussion. Uh, it's basically political. Uh, you know, will the public accept? Will the members of Congress accept uh, that uh, that uh, these things, uh, these bad things, have been done? Uh, and uh, generally speaking, it just means sort of the same as corruption. But uh, like I say, it all it's always tailored to the particular situation. And there's always a big argument. Remember, this is, uh, I've gone through this twice before in my professional life. I actually won an award when I was, uh, when I was a teenager for uh, my coverage of uh, Nixon's resignation. I did a special on that for uh, the radio station that I worked with uh, there with my partner uh, at the radio station. And, uh, and now, and then of course the Bill Clinton thing. And now this is, uh, so this is the third time uh, maybe that I'll be, uh, I'll be covering this. Uh, and every time it's uh, it's varied. All the definitions change. Uh, what's the old statement that all uh, old rule that uh, all procedural arguments uh, are uh, insincere? Uh, you you basically argue procedure based on which side you want to win, and that's the way each side does it every time this comes up in an impeachment fight. Okay, so let's say Trump does get impeached, or in the case of any impeachment. Then how would that lead to removal from office? What is the pathway oh, and what has to happen? Yeah. And, and again, it's very important for people to remember that impeachment does not mean removal, as we learned from Bill Clinton, who was impeached, but he was not removed uh, because you do have the trial in the Senate uh, and you have a lot of grandstanding. You have, uh, you know, prosecutors and defense uh, acting. And it really is a trial. Uh, I remember the chief justice at the time uh, wore very flamboyant robes and that was uh, that was made a big deal of because there he was on national television uh justice Rehnquist at the time and uh, uh, well, the chief fl- justice flamboyant for the u.s supreme court i believe he had gold stripes uh near the collars of his sleeves right and i'm not really commenting by, I'm by, not... by by you know boring supreme court standards that was totally outrageous right and i'm not criticizing him i'm just saying that that was one of the one of the things that uh, people latched onto and talked about a lot i just thought that that sartorial observation was a little much yeah well i'm not one to talk about about fashion, so uh, you know, there's not. I don't really know much about that, I guess. But uh, it, you know, it's it's a it's a big deal. And um, the uh, the last time this happened, the Republicans uh, paid a price. Uh, it probably uh, hurt their prospects in the uh, subsequent elections, and uh, the um, uh, certainly in the House, where it had been expected that the Republicans would uh, would make gains, and they didn't. Uh, that led to uh, Newt Gingrich being forced out as as Speaker. Uh, a lot of that was uh, overplaced confidence in a um, in, in, in the um, uh, the idea that the Republicans would pick up seats. If you look at the history, I did an analysis where I showed that they really should not have been projected to pick up seats. And so it was one of those things where if the expectation had been different, then the reaction to what happened would have been different. But people were expecting a lot, so they um, they were very disappointed and they blamed it on Newt and got rid of him. So the irony was that it forced out Newt Gingrich. And then that led to the elevation of a child molester to be the Speaker of the House and be um, 
next in line for the presidency after the president and vice president. And it also introduced a provision of Scottish law into America because <laughs> Senator Arlen Specter tried to tried to vote uh, uh, not proven, which is a, a verdict available to juries in in Scotland. And uh, instead of, you know, he was a weasel, so he wanted to <laughs> equivocate. But I think that was not proven was rejected, and he just had to vote nay. Before we move on uh, from this, though, and get into the actual politics right now, I just want to make sure we're really clear about what the mechanics are, because I don't think a lot of people actually know. So, Steve, if you want to just run down from us. So who votes, number one, to make impeachment happen? How does that happen in Congress? Then, you know, how does this vote work on conviction in terms of uh, the uh, the actual trial part of impeachment? Yeah, it would be first referred to a House committee, presumably the Judiciary Committee, uh, and uh, that's. Got, th- this is convention. This is this is convention. They, the House could just take the whole thing up by they, itself. They can do it. However, the they, can, they can change the rules at any moment they want to. If they follow the tradition, then that would be uh, that would be it. Uh, so then you would have hearings in in that uh, committee. Uh, and you would have a lot of grandstanding on the part of both sides, and uh, people trying to play for the for the TV, and uh, and then and those would you know this would be covered uh, uh, interrupt. Well, they used to, they used to preempt soap operas. Do they still have soap operas on during the day? I don't know, but uh, I people, think so. People used to complain because their soap operas get uh, would get uh, preempted every time there were impeachment hearings. Well, people do have their priorities, uh, and then uh, then it would go to the once once the committee if the committee recommended if the majority of the committee voted for impeachment. Then it would go to the House. You'd have a vote in the House. And then once the House voted, if it was a majority was for impeachment, then the president would be at that point impeached. And then it would go for trial to the Senate. And it would require a, a trial, an actual trial uh, conducted uh, generally in public. The deliberations would be in private. And then and then you have a vote and it had it would require a two thirds vote. So. Right. And the, pre- the president is represented by defense counsel. Uh, and there are are uh, prosecutors. Some senators, do they not? Or prosecutors are mm-hmm. appointed, uh, or people are appointed to prosecute the case, to speak on behalf of the prosecution, the people trying to, trying to, uh, I guess, on behalf of the people of the United right. States. Right, and you would also have the, you know, the lawyer for the president. Right. You would have uh, Cheryl Mills, for example, uh, argued uh, the case for uh, Bill Clinton, who later showed up in the Hillary right. investigation when she acted as Hillary's lawyer over the... It- uh, the stolen emails. And in the House, these people who keep the process going along, you could call them, consider them prosecutors too, in a sense, are called impeachment managers. And uh, I lived in one of the, in a congressional district of one of them, uh, Congressman George Geekus, Re- Republican uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, so he got a lot of publicity at the time for his role as an impeachment manager. And this can be a good or bad thing, depending on the district and how people back home react. And well, it made Bob Barr, former congressman from Georgia, really famous. And he ended up being the Libertarian Party candidate for president later on. And and Lindsey Graham was a, a, a so you know prosecutor basically in the House, and uh, he ended up being elected to the U.S. Senate, where he still is today. And uh, so you know this can change the course of uh, political careers. All right. So moving on to the practical politics today, uh, do you think a Trump impeachment is likely? No. No. I know that the, the left is pushing very hard for it, but, you know, you've got to get it through the House where the Republicans control things. 
Um, I know they're, they're, you know, the, the, the left is hoping for big gains uh, in the uh, uh, 2018 election, but that's pretty far down the road. Uh, you'd have to keep up a lot of momentum uh, till that point. Well, the, the whole Trump-Russia conspiracy theory was concocted to kneecap President Trump to prevent his agenda from going forward and to protect Barack Obama's legislative uh, legacy. So the, the goal isn't necessarily, necessarily to kick President Trump out. It is to frustrate the Republican agenda. Um, I'm not sure that they would be very happy if Mike Pence, a hardcore social conservative, were to succeed Trump in office and actually become president. That would make Presumably, that would make a lot of de- uh, a lot of Democrats sweat because he is their worst uh, worst nightmare. Yeah, and and remember the the point of an investigation. This is what people don't understand about how crooked Washington is. The point of an investigation is not to find out what really happened, at least not on the part of most of the people who were involved in this kind of controversy. Uh, the point is to drag it out. So you destroy the reputation of the person who's being investigated. You never come to a conclusion, or at least you drag it out as far as possible, uh, because every day that the person's being investigated, they're not getting jobs. Uh, nobody's taking them seriously. Their name is besmirched. Their uh, agenda's not going forward. Their agenda's not going forward. And so all the things like tax reform that the president wants to do, those things uh, wouldn't be happening. That's why I, I, right now, there's plenty of Republicans who are talking about bailing on President Trump. That's why the stock market They're, they're, uh, they're afraid to back his legislative initiative because, you know, it's driving his approval. Uh, it's arguably driving his approval ratings down with the public or, on the other hand, uh, keeping them keeping them where they are, which is fairly low. Yeah, Carl Rove has talked about, uh, the you know, who, who uh, I'm not a big fan of, but he, he does know about some of these things, and he's talked about that the president may be frozen at the uh, high 30s or low 40s in approval ratings simply because there'll be all these people who hear these things and figure, well, there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, something must be going on. He must be doing something. Uh, and in fact, that's what most of the most of the my Democrat friends, they they don't really have specifics. Uh, and they uh, just they just hate the man. They, they hate him. Therefore, he must be guilty. And, and of course, this is a big thing for fundraising and organizing for uh, left-wing causes. Uh, the um, New York Times, I've got an article here, Jonathan Martin and Alexander Burns, and, and they're talking about the demands of the radicalized party base are being amplified by growing calls from a series of Democratic candidates for statewide office uh, who are, uh, and what they say is that basically people are running around the country for statewide office, and this is a way to win the Democratic primary, uh, is to play to your party Radicalized. I mean, how radical do you have to be to be called radicalized by the New York Times, for goodness sake? But you you play to your party's base, say, I'm the one who's going to stand up to Trump, so vote for me for state auditor of Missouri or whatever the position is. I don't even—is there a state auditor in Missouri? I don't know. But anyway— Oh, but there is. Uh, and and this, is how, this is how you get elected to all those offices by saying—remember, we're talking about within the Democratic primary, where people hate, 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 hate Donald Trump— uh, by saying, I'm the guy who's going to stand up to, to Donald Trump, and my position is dog catcher of uh, Wisconsin. And uh, so so that's what—so uh, the party's being pushed in that direction. Meanwhile, you have Move On. I mean, this is one of the great ironies. Move On is sending out emails, and they're raising Move money. Move On, okay. which can never move on. Which can never move on. This was—which was founded to get people to lay off of Bill Clinton in the impeachment controversy. Do we want to just what move uh, on quickly to. define for people what Move On is? Move yeah. On is a—, is a, a a political pressure group uh, 
uh, and it sends, it uses, um, it was one of the first, I think, to start using the internet mm -hmm. in a serious way to organize politically. And uh, so they'll, if they're upset about something, they'll send out a bulletin, a mass a bulletin to their members and a mass emailing. They'll say, you know, we, we need you to sign this petition right now if you care about the environment or if you want to prevent um, Donald Trump from building a casino uh, on top of Old Faithful at uh, in our national parks uh, or, or, you know, turn, turning Niagara, the American side of Niagara Falls into a water roller coaster. <laughs> you know, whatever the terrible things that, that uh, the people they don't like want to do. So they'll send out these breathless bulletins. You know, President uh, Trump is a traitor and we need to remove him. Can you send $5 right now to help us with our latest advertising campaign? We need 300000 in these key states to run these uh, ads to put pressure on the appropriate elected officials. And, and so that, that sort of stuff, and they've been very, it's a large outfit. I think I'm technically considered a member. There's no <laughs> membership fee I'm aware of. If you're on their emailing list, you're a member. Uh, I just did it for opposition research purposes. But they, they, they have been, you know, they, in, in terms of their effectiveness, uh, they have been effective at times. But, but here's the thing. They, they started as a petition, an online petition, to lay off of Bill Clinton when he was being impeached. So they were the people who said, you know, this is not, we, we got to be serious about this. Only use impeachment when it's... It's, it's all about sex. And they said, uh, you know, censure him and move on. So basically that you pass a resolution saying he was really naughty and he shouldn't do that anymore. And then you forget about it. And and that was where the name of the organization came from, was, was censure and move on. Excuse me. And so they had moveon.org was their website. Again, as Matthew said, they were one of the first groups to organize online. And so uh, they became famous from this and they still exist to this day. And now, of course, they're pressuring to have impeachment uh, of Donald Trump. So, uh, you know, these things switch around. But they're supposed to be on July the 2nd. Now we're going to have impeachment marches. So, uh, you know, all the people who were behind the uh, stuff around the inauguration or the recent uh, uh, marches uh, for pseudoscience, uh, they're going to be involved presumably in these uh, in these July 2nd impeachment marches to pressure Democrats and particularly Democrats, because we do have this very polarized system now where most Democrats in Congress are in very, Demo in the House anyway, are in very Democratic districts. Most Republicans are in very Republican districts. And so if you're a Democrat, you've got to, you know, be in with your party's base because you're more likely to get primaried that is, uh, you know, uh, have someone challenge you within your own party, then you are to end up with a serious Republican. And challenge. your Democratic Party base is typically severely undermedicated. Right. And by the way, it's J.B. Pritzker, who's running for governor of Illinois, is one of the Democrats who's using this in his primary campaign. Well, so that's a that's a familiar, familiar I'm name. I'm sure they'll be those. using it for um, uh, local government campaigns, for county board of supervisors and mayors as well. <laughs> You know, we've got to stop the Trump, Trump agenda. Somebody's probably thinking about it uh, in Berkeley or on San Francisco City Council as we speak. Delia Brown, one of the organizers of the march in Los Angeles, was quoted by the New York Times saying, this is now the zeitgeist. It's the demands of the people we're responding to. All right. So when it comes to the actual impeachment itself, the, the, the most highly speculated cause of uh, what Congress would use to uh, impeach is not actually the Russian collusion, 
but rather uh, obstruction of justice in the investigation <laughs> of Russian collusion. So let me just lay it out. So this past week, an anonymous FBI source leaked to the press that Comey wrote a note after a meeting with Trump where Comey recorded that Trump had requested, quote, Trump, uh, I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. He is a good guy. I hope you can let this go. Uh, so that's combined with Trump's firing of Comey after uh, the Flynn investigation continued and was not let go. So, so what do you think about that legal reasoning? Is there anything to obstruction of justice from that evidence? And, and also, I guess, uh, could there be more that might lead to an obstruction of, of justice charge credibly? Well, there's no first off, there's no underlying crime. There's no proof that, well, with Flynn, I don't think anybody's even accused him of committing a crime. He's just accused of unethical practices and things that he should have disclosed that he didn't disclose, like his work with Russia, his contacts with them, and in fact, Turkey could, and various other places. If I could jump in. These are not crimes necessarily. Well, actually, you know, you, you are, there are certain things you are required to disclose, but apparently with regard to his work for a Turkish businessman, and remember, Turkey is a member of NATO. It's an right. ally of the United States. The, the uh, strong man of Turkey was considered the foreign leader closest to Barack Obama. Right. Uh, but anyway, so supposedly he uh, he did this work and uh, and it was for, you know, it was like a front for the government. I, or I should, let me just amend that. These are not serious crimes if they're crimes. And, and in this They'd case, minor he crimes. did disclose it. He just right. disclosed it under the wrong part of, you know, the wrong law. And that so they'll get him on, you know, maybe possibly on a technical violation, which, of course, will be blown up into a major criminal conspiracy. Yeah, people do this media. all the time. You know, there's a sloppy John Podesta's done the same thing. And they, they, you know, it's just been ignored. And then he gave a speech. Uh, uh, which was connected with RT, which is the Russian uh, news service, along the lines of the BBC and and France 24, the the British and French propaganda services. Uh, and uh, this this was again this was a news service, but yes, of course, it's backed by the Russian government, like most big organizations in Russia are. And so they said, well, this counts as working for a foreign government. Of course, he reported it uh, to the appropriate authorities both before and after he gave the speech. And this was properly considered. Uh, his security clearance was renewed afterwards. So that you know, this is so you're right on the underlying so-called crime. And of course, we don't know what the deal was with what he said that supposedly misled the vice president of the United States. We don't know what that was. Uh, but there's no indication again that that's a crime. And of course, that was something he said, knowing that his conversation with the Russian ambassador was being taped. So it's hard to believe that he would have uh, someone in this sophisticated who ran the uh, you know top one of the top intelligence agencies uh, would. Uh, not realize that, uh, you know, would try to do some sort of crime in the course of that conversation. It's just not plausible. But there we go. So, and that's that's the that's the underlying crime, you know, which is a problem. Because if there's no underlying crime, there's no obstruction of justice, uh, generally speaking. Uh, there are well, okay, we can get into. Conrad, well, that was not the case with Conrad Black. But, but let me say this. Yeah. Let me say this uh, regarding Comey. He had an obligation to report— this, if, if in fact in February, when this supposed conversation took place, and remember, we've got a reporter who claims that someone called him and claimed to have a memo that claimed to be a recollection of this of this conversation, which was written after the fact. So we've got to, it's even, even if it's all real, it's based on Comey's recollection. And we all know how people remember conversations when they write down later on what was said in the conversation and how imprecise 
that can be. And precision is very important because you have to have a threat for this to be obstruction of justice. You have to have a threat uh, or you have to have something done corruptly, meaning to cover up an actual crime that involves the person like the president who was the person saying this. And here's what happened. Comey didn't report it to the proper authorities afterwards, uh, indicating he didn't think that there was anything wrong with this. Or, or he was concealing it for future use, a la J. Edgar Hoover. Which would make him corrupt, yes, and therefore not a good witness. And then he said in, a, uh, in testimony on May the 3rd, congressional testimony, he was asked, has it happened? It says, uh, the, the question was, so if the attorney general or senior officials at the Department of Justice opposes a specific investigation, can they halt that FBI investigation? And he said, no, not in my experience. So, and he went on to elaborate. He was quite, quite clear that, uh, that this is something that uh, had not happened. And by the way, the president is over the Justice Department. You know, there's, there, I think some people are parsing this to say, well, he didn't include the president. A senior official, that would include the president of the United States. Um, okay, so let me ask two questions for clarity. Um, so, number one, isn't it usual for law enforcement to hold evidence while they're building a case. So if Comey was building an obstruction of justice case, would he have to report it or would he potentially be collecting evidence until then there's evidence and he would refer it to a prosecutor? So that's question one. And then question two is, um, so for an obstruction of justice charge, we were talking before about, you know, there has to be, a, a criminal offense, but is that necessarily the case? Could there just be an investigation of a criminal offense or does it, does it have to get to the point where there has actually been criminal wrongdoing found? Because as we're seeing now, and as is all over the papers, uh, you know, this is now quote, a criminal investigation, uh, which I, I wasn't at that the whole time, but I, I don't know. So those two questions, if uh, you want. Uh, well, the answer is uh, the words are, uh, one of the words used is corruptly. Uh, another word used is threat. Uh, and uh, to say, you know, this guy, which which is how it's, you know, fairly being reported in some sources. Um, again, the memo that may exist, <laughs> that may be reported fairly by the source who may, who, and then the reporter who may be reporting that uh, correctly. Uh, the, but the, the characterization is that he's, uh, Trump says something like, you know, this, uh, this guy Flynn, he's, he's, uh, he's a good guy. He's served his country for, for decades. You know, we should, uh, uh, you know, just, just, just let it go. In other words, this is not significant enough to do that. By the way, the president has the authority to do that under the constitution to, to shut down an investigation entirely. Uh, but then the question is, uh, is this something that's corrupt that is to say, uh, is it a crime, particularly one involving the president himself? So you, you, you couldn't just say necessarily even that Flynn, if he had somehow committed a crime, that that would be sufficient. But let's say that it was. It would embarrass the president, I guess. Uh, and then and then uh, or it has to be a threat. And what's the threat? You know, like I'm going to fire you if you do this, uh, if he you know, and that that language is very important, what he actually says. Or did he say something like, you know, sleeping with the fishes or some sort of code? But there's no indication he did that. And again, the fact that Comey did not report it, which he had an obligation to do, and that he later said no such thing had ever happened in the Justice Department uh, to him, uh, that indicates that, uh, at least on this, uh, he did not think it was significant at the time. And if he didn't think it was significant then, why does he think it's significant now? Okay, and then the other question about 
the obstruction of justice charge? Does there actually have to have been criminal wrongdoing found, or you mean in the un- I mean an underlying crime? Yes. Does 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 there have to have been a conviction of an underlying crime, or is an investigation of a potential crime count? Uh, it has to, to be done corrupt. Uh, in that case, I think the word corruptly is the one that applies. So theoretically. Uh, you could do it. Let's say it was uh, uh, something uh, like like Hillary, uh, for example, the WikiLeaks. Uh, Hillary did not. Um, uh, her people did not uh, technically steal the election in the legal sense of the term, but uh, but they did. Uh, but they did. In the case of, of of WikiLeaks, Hillary's people did not, as far as we know technically break the law maybe they did in stealing the the primaries from bernie sanders but that was re, that was removed and, and that was uh, reported in wikileaks it was exposed uh, nobody denies that it took place uh, all the, all the pe- people involved <laughs> lost their jobs so uh that would be possibly uh corruption that might be uh you know if a president tried to cover that up that maybe that's corruption even though it's not a criminal act i don't know we, that's getting into a territory we have really haven't gotten into but it would have to be something that would be considered corruption in order i believe in order for obstruction of justice to obtain okay um so let's move on to the other big part of uh the move on was that a story. pun and no it wasn't <laughs> um so the russian investigate collusion investigation is still ongoing uh and a Special counsel to run the investigation has been appointed by Deputy Deputy Attorney General uh, Rod Rosenstein. Uh, that counsel is Robert uh, Mueller, if I'm pronouncing Mueller. that correctly. It's actually pronounced Mueller. Mueller. Okay. Yeah. Um, so he's a former FBI director. He has uh, broad support on both sides of the aisle. Uh, so if you would define for our listeners, um, first of all, what is a special counsel and how will the investigation change now that there is one? Yeah, when, when there's a situation where uh, it's deemed that the people uh, in the Justice Department, uh, and, and that includes the President of the United States as the nation's chief law enforcement officer, that uh, an investigation can't be, uh, uh, can't be conducted that's fair because of the influence, uh, you know, that you're investigating the 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 people at the Justice Department are investigating the president. Then you can have a special counsel appointed. This goes back to 1875. Uh, this has happened a number of times in American history. Uh, after what happened in Watergate was that uh, famously there was the Saturday Night Massacre. And that's where uh, a, a, a special prosecutor, as the term was, was then used, but these are all pretty much interchangeable, independent counsel, special prosecutor. Actually, uh, in this case, uh, Mueller is an independent uh, a special counsel. Special counsel is the term they're using for him. Um, but what happened in the Saturday Night Massacre was that you had a, a very left-wing uh, prosecutor who was appointed, who was a part of the Kennedy political organization, Kennedy being uh, Nixon's main political opponent at the time. Uh, and uh, they demanded, uh, the prosecu- special prosecutor uh, demanded the White House tapes after the taping system had been revealed uh, in, in order to prove or disprove the case or to, to, to get Nixon, basically. And uh, Nixon had him fired. So he ordered the attorney general, uh, Elliot Richardson, very left-wing Republican, a rhino, ultra-rhino, you might say, in today's terms. Uh, he, uh, he ordered him to fire 
um, Archibald Cox, uh, uh, Richardson refused. Uh, he was fired. His deputy, uh, uh, Ruckelshaus, was then, uh, William Ruckelshaus, was then ordered to do it. He refused, and then he was fired. And that became known as the uh, Saturday Night Massacre. Finally, the third person in line, Robert Bork, who was later nominated for the Supreme Court but didn't get on there, uh, he uh, he was the Solicitor General. He was next in line, and he basically said, look, you're, you can't just keep firing everybody. Uh, you know, somebody's going to do this. And so out of that whole controversy, uh, there was a law passed that set up a, a system where a three-judge federal panel uh, would uh, th- uh, would appoint a special prosecutor. Uh, that was uh, that law was allowed to expire in 1999. It was probably unconstitutional anyway. Uh, and so you've had um, uh, situations like the Iran Contra under George H. W. Bush, that scandal. And in that case, uh, it affected the outcome of the election, possibly, because uh, there was an indictment at the last minute of uh, Casper Weinberger, who'd been Secretary of Defense. Uh, And then that nobody actually went to jail. I think 11 people were indicted and no one ended up going to jail. It was a totally fake investigation. Later, you had the Valerie Plame case, again, a totally fake investigation. Uh, She had been outed as a CIA agent effectively by her husband, and it was blamed on people in the uh, George W. Bush administration. Uh, In between there, you had the— And uh, then Scooter Libby. And Scooter Libby. Took the fall for it. Took the fall for it, uh, totally unjustly. Who's now at the Hudson Institute and is uh, actually a pretty well-respected— thinker. Yeah. And of course, in between, you had the Clinton thing. uh, And everybody uh, who follows political history uh, knows that. So uh, that brings us up to the present where uh, there's this procedure put in place. The attorney general can appoint a special uh, special counsel, they're now called. And in this case, it was the deputy attorney general because the attorney general had recused himself from this investigation. Uh, And that person essentially has the powers of a federal prosecutor, a U.S. attorney, uh, and can rely on the help of FBI agents uh, as investigators and so on, uh, and uh, and is can technically be fired uh, by the uh, deputy attorney general in this case, uh, or even by the president. But the political fallout would be such that uh, he or she is pretty much uh, untouchable under normal circumstances. So, but what does that mean for the investigation? Um, you know. You know, compared to how it's been running uh, up till now, do you expect uh, anything to change, um, be it in public perception of the investigation or uh, be it in terms of how the investigation is actually uh, running uh, within the government? Well, I think most people do respect Mueller. There's a little concern that he is close to Comey. Uh, Comey, I think, uh, uh, Mueller was at one point referred to as basically, uh, uh, Mueller was referred to as basically Comey's uh, mentor. But most people are, are, you know, happy with the choice. If someone's got to do it, they're not necessarily happy that this was done. Uh, but if somebody's going to do it, and then and then it depends on where the investigation goes. And these things are incredibly unpredictable. Who would have known when you started investigating a, you know, a real estate deal under Bill Clinton that you would end up with Monica Lewinsky? And so uh, this could go in a lot of different directions. I'm one that hopes, it, uh, I hope it goes to the origin of the so-called dirty dossier that led to the spying on Donald Trump by the Obama administration. And there, so there are those of us who want, you know, in Watergate, the, the person who did the spying was considered the bad guy in this case it's the victim that that being christopher Steele's uh 34 page dossier which was uh leaked by buzzfeed and uh and then jeb bush's uh people may have had something to do it originated with never trump republicans and was handed off to hillary uh and this was uh, the group that did it uh, as far as the american group that uh connected with uh, christopher Steele, the british uh, former mi6 agent uh they were the people who 
try to frame Newt Gingrich on a, on a charge that I was involved in over the years that he turned out to be completely innocent of. Uh, they uh, did the thing where they uh, made plan- made it look like the Planned Parenthood videos about uh, baby part selling were somehow altered, which they weren't. Uh, so this is not a, a reputable group of people from my point of view, but this is who came up with this stuff. And then it was used uh, to uh, justify uh, spying on Donald Trump. That's the scandal <laughs> to me, uh, that you, you, you spy on your political opponents and and that that's not the focus of this. It's, it's just amazing. Well, and then and also the irony in, is it is that Obama's the most, uh, as you pointed out before, the most pro-Russian president in American history, and uh, always bending over backwards. Remember, tell uh, tell uh, Vlad, uh, we'll we'll you know I'll have more flexibility after the election. That open mic incident with Dmitry Medvedev. Uh, and Hillary Clinton's business ties uh, to Russia, uh, approval of one-fifth of America's uranium supply, uh, uh, a sale to Russia. You know, there's so many connections between the Democrats and, and the Russians, including traditionally, like with Ted Kennedy, undermining the Reagan administration by offering help to the KGB. The history of the Democrats uh, being involved in Russian involvement in U.S. elections is very extensive, and I look forward to it being revealed. That's our show for this week. We'll be back next week, and we hope you'll join us. If you're not already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on social media at Capital Research Center on Facebook and YouTube, and at Capital Research on Twitter. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen. And I'm Matthew Batum. And I'm Jake Klein. Thanks for listening.